Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 30 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here this week with Charlie and Brittany, a couple from thetradingtraveler.com. What's up, guys? Thanks for having us on uh, Travel Like a Boss podcast. Yeah. How you doing, Brittany? Good. How are you? Doing good. So uh, we're out here in Chiang Mai, and uh, you guys just... How long have you guys been in Chiang Mai? We've been in Chiang Mai about... Four months, four and a half months, I guess. We got here in December. Uh, but prior to that, we were in uh, Isan in, in Thailand, and we were there for three months, which was quite the change of pace from, from Chiang Mai. Okay, cool. And you guys have been kind of traveling around a lot of Asia. and Yeah, all, our plan was to come to Thailand, settle down as a home base, and then hit as much of Southeast Asia as possible. And we'll actually be leaving here and heading towards Australia, New Zealand, and then back to the States and hopefully through Central America into South America. Uh, and Brittany, what place are you looking forward to most? Um, I'd say Australia, New Zealand. Um, I'm not looking forward to the cost, but I definitely am excited about that. I think the most. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Um, so I'm actually going back to the U.S. Uh, two days from now. But these next two days are going to be the craziest two days in in Thailand for the whole year. That's right, Songkran. Yeah, yeah. Songkran. What's, what do you guys know about Songkran? Have, have you been through one yet? I have. Okay. I have been through one Songkran, and I know one thing that it's a, a few days too many. If you go too hard in the early days, you can hardly make it through all of Songkran. So. I told her we should uh, maybe go out for one day and try to save ourselves for the rest because, like you said, it is pure madness for at least three or four days. All right, so for the people listening that don't know what Songkran is, it's Thai New Year. And one of the cool things about Thailand is we celebrate New Year's every other month, it seems. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, because you have the normal Western New Year, you know, December 31st, and you have Chinese New Year, which is a pretty big festival here as well, but Thai New Year... Songkran is insane. Uh, when was the last time you had a water gun fight, Brittany? Gosh, uh, maybe never. <laughs> I don't know. And I mean, I remember as a kid, like being in elementary school, having so much fun with a super soaker, and didn't even realize how fun it is as an adult. Yeah, and I, I think I think what makes makes it the best here in Thailand in Songkran is it's not just kids running around with squirt runs. I mean, you have kids from a couple years old to 80-year-old grandmothers that are all participating in the back of trucks, throwing water, uh, just out having a blast. No one, no one is causing trouble. Everyone's just uh, is is there for the fun. Yeah, and it's basically a nationwide water gun fight that lasts almost a week. Uh, in Chiang Mai, it's the best place in Thailand to do it, which is why I always recommend people to come here for it, especially around the moat. So the city is, is surrounded uh, by these old ancient walls from, from kind of old old Thailand uh, and a moat. And inside of it, what we call the old city, becomes like a zombie apocalypse with squirt guns. Yeah, and, and one thing to kind of carry on that is if you are going to come to Thailand for Songkran, 
make sure you plan in advance because the one Songkran I was here for, I ended up getting stuck in Bangkok for a night because all flights and all buses were completely booked up. So if you plan on coming to Thailand for Songkran, just make sure you, uh, you plan in advance because it is it's pure mayhem. Everyone goes back to their hometown and it's, a, it's kind of a family celebration in all the big cities. And this year, Songkran officially is April 13th, but it really starts a couple days before and goes a couple days afterwards, and really depending on the, the day it falls on. So this year it falls on a Sunday, which means I guarantee you the day before on a Saturday is going to go off. Of course, yeah. yeah. And then for a couple days afterwards as well. So what I did last year was I got a hotel room in this, right near Taipei Gate, which is like the center of the city. Mm-hmm. And I didn't bring any electronics with me. I didn't bring anything. I, I like literally just had some cash and clothes that I knew you know were gonna get wet. So all I had was board shorts. <laughs> Smart. Yeah, and for I think it was like four days, you know, I just slept in this hotel, <laughs> walked outside my water gun, expecting to get soaking wet every single day. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, you have to expect. To get wet there is no i'm not going to play songkran it they, they no one cares everybody plays songkran and it doesn't matter if you're walking down the road to the tv you're going to get soaked that's just that's the way it goes and uh that's that's what makes it fun i think yeah. well i mean just to illustrate how crazy this is so imagine that you, you're going to work all right <laughs> and you know you're in a suit you know you're going to your bank job and people you know a lot of people still work during this week a lot of people have the day off but i see plenty of people in their work clothes and they step out, they're completely dry, and 50 people run up with squirt guns and <laughs> just clobber them. Uh, and you know, you see the mailman, you, you're allowed to shoot them. You, you, I think you're even allowed to shoot cops. I think it's a little bit frowned upon. <laughs> I, I, I witnessed this uh, a very similar thing. I, I said, you know, people participate from age two all the way up to 80. And I remember watching an old lady in a traditional Thai outfit walking down the street and it actually happened to be a friend of mine that walked up to her and poured a bucket of water on this completely dry woman and I felt awful but the woman laughed and that's like like you said it's just that's part of the the gig and and no one gets upset about it it's crazy yeah so if you guys are planning to have I mean everyone listening should make this their plan for next year so marketing calendar for kind of mid-April next year try to get here a few days before Songkran which is so if, it's, if it starts on the 13th, try to get here by like the 10th or 11th and then stay a few days afterwards at least. And I mean, basically just get ready for the, the craziest water fight you have for the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and again, pace yourself because uh, the one time I did it, I went a little hard early on. and I felt, I felt a, little, a little rough the, the next couple of days. Well, it's, it's pretty common for people who have done it before to kind of have mixed feelings about it. I think everyone kind of agrees that the first time you do it is the best time of your life, but everyone always goes way too hard because it's so fun. Of course. I mean, people start, you know, like basically having a all day, eight hour water fight and it's hot too, so it's nice. I mean, the weather is, I don't know, 90 plus degrees. I think it's over 100. All week, yeah. I mean, and you just run around and just do swim trunks or bikini and just with a huge water gun. Uh, and you can, I mean, you can get in the back of a pickup truck, you know, you can pay someone 15 bucks and they'll drive around all day and you just go in the back of the pickup truck shooting people. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a better idea than driving our motorbike around. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's citywide. I mean, it's not like you can go somewhere to avoid it. Everywhere there's people in pickup trucks 
just having a, a melee, basically. I mean, no, it's countrywide. Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, countrywide. I didn't even think people could... I really don't think, until you've done it, you can't imagine the scale of it. I mean, so imagine you're from the U.S., and for five days, every single city, every single state in the U.S., that's 50 states, every city, every person, like, you know, I don't know how many millions of people or 100 million people have water guns. Yeah, it's and, and, and not only that, but but like you said, people are riding around in the back of, of pickup trucks, which there's no way you could get away with this <laughs> in the states anymore. And for better or worse, 90% of the people are drinking as well as playing water gun fights. So it's just, it's something that you wouldn't see anywhere but here. It wouldn't be legal, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, like you said, it's it's a must-do. You have to do it. And I think also in the U.S., like a lot of fights would probably start, yeah. or things would bad things would happen but here people have such calm demeanors yeah. that they would kind of just laugh things off yeah 100% like I said I expected the old woman that got water poured on her head to, to be upset and not at all she was she was completely fine laughed it off I I never once saw a fight in the in the three days that, that I was part of Songkran so like I said I, I think uh, everyone has a, has a pretty good attitude about it yeah and, and as years go past it gets more and more organized so they got sponsors now like Coca-Cola sponsors it and what they'll do is they'll set up a stage with you know local Thai bands you know on the stage and just you know blast music throughout the city. Uh, and they'll Isn't have. Isn't there a phone party too or something? Yeah, like? that's what you were excited about. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have um, water refill stations. Yep, which is great yeah. as well. And uh, the moat water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the moat water is probably not the cleanest. From your mouth. Yeah. Um, well, and what's funny is that as the days go past, like people get used, like the people get used to just getting squirted by water, so it doesn't really affect them anymore. Especially right. when you rut already, it's like okay, you know, it's more water, it's hot out, it's fine. Right. So the next stage of having normal water is people start using ice water. <laughs> so they'll have these huge, you know, I don't know, fifty-gallon containers of ice and water, and we fill from those usually from the trucks, uh, or in front of a lot of the restaurants and bars, they have it too. And you know, even though it's 100 degrees out, when someone's shooting you with ice, ice water, water, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and another weird thing for me was, uh, and, and I didn't realize this, and I don't know if they do this in Chiang Mai. I'd imagine, like you said, it's countrywide. But not only are you getting squirt with water guns, but people will come up and put baby powder on your <laughs> yeah. face. And so you have random ties coming up to you and putting baby powder on your face. And at first, I, I just didn't understand it. Kind of kind of freaked me out but then I saw everyone covered in white face baby powder and I realized this is part of the uh, the tradition as well yeah I like it and you know when we hear you know in the, someone else's culture someone else's country I just go with it yeah absolutely you I have to yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. alright so both of you guys are from originally from the US yep yes. what, what part uh, Florida, from Florida. Uh, um, so <laughs> I just put this on my <clears throat> my Facebook uh, linking the, the German guy sitting next to me at Punspace asked if this news on uh, the Huffington Post was satire <laughs> and I said no that that's what actually happens in America especially in Florida <laughs> of course yes unfortunately Florida is notorious for some some weird weird news stories uh, but but even crazier like like you just said I mean we were sitting next to this German guy at Punt Space but today was our first day at Punt Space and we got to talking and not only is Chiang Mai a place to come for Songkran, but if you do any type of online business, I mean, you have to come here. This place is absolutely amazing. We are sitting around 
doing our own work and Johnny's like, hey, you wanna go do a bod- podcast? Me and Brittany looked at each other, we're like, sure, why not? So, you know, here we are. I mean, had no idea that this was gonna happen and, and like I said, now we've met someone new, same same mindset of the online business and uh, and now we're doing a podcast. Well, that's how I started the podcast, was I was here in Chiang Mai and someone asked, you know, that. I think they had knew my story about how I got to dropshipping and they wanted me to be on the podcast and I saw how easy it was and I was like I was like I'm gonna make a podcast too and a week later it was it was up so um, but if that never would have happened if I was still back in even you know LA everyone assumes you know California San Francisco LA is this you know the the hub of internet startups mm-hmm. and it's true to biggest extent you know Google's there Facebook's there uh, and there's a lot of you know internet startup guys there but it's completely different they're not they're not really bootstrapping entrepreneurs they're people you know working for a company a startup company trying to get grants you know doing you know making the software that doesn't necessarily make money today they're just kind of hoping that they can sell it later on for more money right and and the the other the other thing that that i see um and and like i said today is the first day of punt space but i've been to a few meetups mostly travel bloggers but uh, everyone is very open here. It's not a, a dog eat dog world. Even even if you're in the same business arena, uh, it's more of a, a culture of helping each other versus that I'm not going to share my secrets with you because eventually, if you have something that you help someone else else out with, it comes back to help you. And I, I was asking Johnny about about drop shipping because I don't know anything about it, but I know about niche sites and and they kind of overlap. So. Uh, like I said, it's just a very, uh, boot, like you said, bootstrap, entrepreneur-friendly environment here. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, just the workspace itself, I mean, uh, you know, we were saying, we were talking about it earlier that it's so easy to meet other entrepreneurs there. Mm-hmm. And everyone does different things. Like, like what did you, what kind of people did you see at Podspace today? <laughs> Everybody. Yeah, I mean, you got programmers to, to travel bloggers, graphic design guys to guys using machines to program like uh, key keypads for ATMs and stuff. Stuff that I didn't even know existed, and you're you're just sitting at the same table as them. Well, the guy that's sitting across from me, Jacob. Uh, shout out to Jacob for bringing the blender to uh, Pun Space so we can make bulletproof coffee. But he makes a lot. He made a lot of money, basically making those red squiggly lines in Internet Explorer. <laughs> so you know, you know how there's automatic spell check in browsers. Yep. He's the one that did that for Internet Explorer. Wow. And, wow. Yeah, and now that, that that was his whole gig, and he's he has a family of like five that he supports and lives quite well. He makes a lot of money. Right. And that's what he does. Yeah, and and <laughs> super cool guy. Like you, you would. I, I didn't even know that. I had no idea, and you would never know that because he's very nonchalant. Uh, and it was really, really kind of funny, and it's, it's uh, almost embarrassing to tell this, but I uh, was listening to your podcast, and that's how I was like, you know, we got to go check out Pun Space. Let's, let's go on Friday. I don't know what we're going to get down there. I don't even know what to expect. And, and to be honest, it was difficult finding, but we actually found it. And I walked in and had been on your site and been on your podcast, and we walked around and did the tour and everything. And... Brittany asked where I want to sit. I said, I want to go sit over there with the, the guy in the salmon shirt because that's Johnny. She, <laughs> she looked at me like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I was just on his site like two days ago and that's how I ended up here. And she's like, whatever. So we went over there. Next thing you know, like I said, here we are doing a podcast. So it's just a, 
it's a really, really friendly environment here for, for anyone that has anything to do with entrepreneurship. And I think a big part of that is just the fact that you're actually traveling, mm-hmm. you know, that it shows a lot of things. First, you know, that you're open-minded, that you're actually trying to make it work and not just dreaming about it. Uh, and usually people that, you know, you meet in Chiang Mai, especially at Han Space, they're at least making enough money where they can kind of fund their travels. Right. So they're not someone that's completely just starting out. It's someone who, you know, at least has kind of figured it out. I'm sure everybody's still trying to grow their businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's why everyone clicks so well. It's because everyone's kind of in the same boat. Uh, versus, you know, like when I get random messages from people on Facebook on you know, or online, uh, a lot of them, they're kind of dreaming about coming out here. And it's, sometimes it feels like it's hard to, to spend that much time, you know, trying to help them because, you know, you can try to, you know, you can spend hours trying to help them figure out the trip. And then at the last minute, they're like, oh, no, you know, I'm scared to go out. Right. And the fact that you guys are already out here, it makes it really easy to connect. Yeah, and, and another point that, that I found interesting was in order to go to Punt Space, you know, they, you have to pay to get in, first mm-hmm. of all. Which at first I was like, well, why are they charging? It's just like a, a, a basically a coffee shop. Like, w- why is this place different than just a run-of-the-mill coffee shop? Because there's thousands of them in Chiang Mai. But it's exactly what you just said. It separates the people that are serious from the people that are dreaming. The people that are willing to go and pay the, I think it's $6 or something for yeah. the day. Uh, you, you understand that those people mean business when they come there, that they're really trying to do something. Otherwise, why in the world would they spend the money to, to be in this environment? Yeah, and the thing is, if you if you can't make six dollars a day, you know, while working online the, the full day, you should probably rethink your business model. Uh, and a lot of people that are just starting out, I understand that you know they're like, I don't want to invest or pay six dollars a day when I'm not making any money online yet. Right. But if you know one hundred percent, this is something you're dedicated to, and you know that okay, if I stay, if I sit here, I'll be more productive. You know, I have you know better, faster internet, I have like a better, more comfortable chair and I'll meet other entrepreneurs. And I know that if I do this for two months, then my business will really take off, you know? And it's kind of that faith as well, that optimistic, open-minded thinking, like the abundance mentality, which people really like as well. Yeah, I'm kicking myself that I didn't go sooner. Uh, And that was just me being stubborn and I had good internet at the house that we're in so I didn't really have a need for it but now I completely understand what you're saying I mean it's it's the environment that you're in that cultivates the drive everyone there has the drive to push their business to the next level and that's what it's all about and that's the justification of paying to be there with with everybody else but also so as a couple and you guys are working you know out of out of an apartment, uh, and you got you guys. Are you guys living in a two bedroom now, or we're two? actually in a we're actually in a three bedroom house. Uh, just because when we came here, everything was sold out. Another tip: if anyone's coming to, to Chiang Mai uh, in high season, just be prepared that some places might be rented. Uh, but yeah, we're in a three bedroom house, and it's nice because we can get away from each other. But uh, like most houses in Thailand, the, the living room does not have aircon. So air conditioning. So that leaves us with going in the bedroom to turn the air conditioning on or melt in the living room. And it's, it's 105 degrees today in, in Thailand. So it makes for two very cranky people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And especially when you're you know, living together, traveling together, working together. I mean, even you know, if otherwise you'd be the perfect couple, I mean, that must be a lot of pressure. Yeah. 
you would think it would be worse than it actually is. I mean, we find, I think since we're both working on the same things and we're kind of helping each other out, but then we both kind of take two different ends of what we're doing and run with it. You know, but yeah, sometimes, you know, he'll get out and go meet his uncle or meet his friends and kind of, we, we have our space, but really it's not as bad as most people would probably think it is. Yeah, but, but like you're saying, I, I think it is good to speak with other people because otherwise, you know, like we'll go to the gym, but then we have no interaction with other people. It's just us. So that's a good thing about Punt Space. We can get our work done and interact with other people, again, that are all like-minded. Yeah, and sometimes you get the best business tip from people who are looking you know, from outside, an outside point of view, right. you know, because sometimes we're so just close to our own business that it's really good to have an outside opinion as well. I couldn't agree more. And that's, that's why I ended up there. I heard that in your podcast was, you know, you can get, get the opinion from someone else on your business. And it's not like they're going to be invasive on your business. They're going to be like, Hey, that's not going to work because I don't understand it. Well, if they don't understand it, then someone else doesn't understand it. So just having the uh, availability of someone else that semi understands what you're doing to look at something is, is more than worth it. But I do think it's super cool that you guys can, you know, travel together and work together, (laughs) you know, as a couple. I think that's, I really think that's, you know, everyone's dream. Yeah, I mean, don't get us wrong. We want to kill each other sometimes, but <laughs> I think that comes with the territory. Yeah, she kind of calls me a slave driver, but hey, I mean, like she said, it just comes with the territory. But on the whole, yeah, we're really lucky that we've been able to get along as well as we have because not only not only are we starting a new business, but like you said, we're confined to the same 10 foot by 10 foot area every day basically and she doesn't drive so she's dependent upon me for basically everything so that's that's probably the biggest the biggest struggle is it if we want to do something separate I mean it basically can't can't happen because she gets stranded at the house or she gets stranded in the city because uh, she refuses to uh, drive in hectic, <laughs> hectic Thai traffic. Maybe one day. Well, what I really like about living in this area, the Neiman Haman area, is we can, we can walk everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what we want, excellent. That's what I said. I don't want to be trapped in the house anymore. I want to be able to walk out, walk to a coffee shop, go to Seven, you know, if I want to get a drink. I mean, I depend on him for my food. So, <laughs> And I get cranky if I don't eat. So it's just, it's hard... I've lost kind of that independence. So I think, but living in a more walkable space, which is so, you know, available in Chiang Mai, it would be a lot easier. Yeah, well, me and Larissa just moved uh, into, into this apartment about a week ago, and it was mainly just because of the area. I mean, first, I kind of wanted to be close to Pond Space because I spent so much time there, but also this area is where I spend all my time anyways. Every time we go to dinner, we come to this area. Every time we go to a coffee shop or meet up friends, it's always this area anyways. So I figured, you know what, it's... You know, I might as well pay a little bit more for a slightly smaller place, but be able to, to walk everywhere we want. Like, for example, last night we went salsa dancing. <laughs> Completely her idea, but we were able to walk there. And, I mean, in what big city? I mean, you know, maybe you might be able to do it in New York if you're in the right area. Right. But, I mean, like, where else can you, you know, can you be able to do that within walking distance and also be walking distance to your office, to the gym? Your, your gym is walking distance yeah, from there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, see, that was the trap we fell into when we came. First of all, we came in high season, so 
a lot was already taken in, in terms of what we thought was available. Uh, but the price for an apartment in this area is the same price as a house a little outside of this area. So we were thinking, well, we might as well have a house in case someone comes to visit. Uh, but that is, first of all, a, a not a concern because hotels here are so cheap that if someone does come to visit, just get a hotel. And I am a huge proponent now of having to drive my motorbike everywhere. I'd much rather be able to just walk out the door, walk to the gym, because getting on the motorbike, driving through traffic when it's 100 degrees is just not the most enjoyable thing. It's much easier just to But still walk. better than an hour traffic back in the US. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. I mean, sometimes we forget about that. I mean, yeah. it's, it's very normal for people to drive half an hour to work in traffic in whatever city they live in the US. Oh, yeah. All my friends, I mean, I, I grew up in the Northern Virginia area and everyone I know now commutes at least an hour a day. Yeah. And that's just the protocol. I mean, that's that's what it is. <laughs> and I walk to and from my work barefoot. Yeah. I noticed that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so close. I mean, it's literally across the street. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, if we could do it all over again, we would be in this area because the proximity to everything, you have literally everything right out your front door food gym workspace everything movie theater now movie theater now yeah great mall as well yeah huge mall and so uh but you can get a lot more for your money if you get a house right outside of the city so for people that have a family or they you know for whatever reason they want a big place uh you can get such good deals and the blog post i'm putting up today uh so if you go to johnnyfd.com it's called uh, I don't know, renting a house in Chiang Mai, and it inspired me because somebody posted a fourteen-bedroom house <laughs> with a giant pool. It's a three-story house that has fourteen bathrooms as well. It's fully furnished, and it's just a couple kilometers outside of the city, so it's not even that far. And it's seventy thousand baht, which is two thousand one hundred and you know, like two thousand three hundred dollars U.S. Right. For a fully furnished mansion. Not, not even enough to get you a yeah. studio in, in, say, New York City no. or something like that, or uh, even like. Some... And it's furnished. Yeah, it's... Fourteen friends. You're paying, like nothing a month. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, let's let's do the math for that really quick. That would be five thousand baht each, right? That's less than that's less that's than a part. That's one hundred fifty bucks U.S. Yeah. To live yeah. in a mansion. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, or you can have. Uh, seven people live there for ten thousand baht each, which is three hundred bucks, and you can each have a bedroom and an office. Yeah, yeah or a walk-in closet. The the <laughs> the possibilities here are endless, just because your dollar goes so much further. And like you said, the there's actually I feel more houses available than there are apartments. So someone that does have a family that needs the room. Uh, they're definitely not in short supply. They're, they're, they're all over the place, but the younger crowd that is in Chiang Mai obviously wants a, an apartment, I feel, so uh, that leaves all the houses for anyone else that, that needs the extra room or just wants the extra room. Yeah, like for me, you know, because I'm young, I'm single, I, well, don't tell totally listen to that. I mean, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not married, I don't have kids. Uh, it makes it so much easier just to have a service department. Yeah. I mean, like, so my we walk in, my bed is made. I, I didn't make the bed. You know? Oh, wow. It's, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and it just, everything's, you know, they clean the place. And I don't have to deal with anything, you know, and that makes it so much easier. Uh, so 
for location and for the service, I'd rather personally be, you know, in the in this area of the city and have a, a apartment. Uh, but definitely, if, if I had a family or something, I would definitely live in a house because it's so much better value. Uh, and you can hire a live-in maid if you want. You can, mm-hmm. you can hire a full-time maid for 300 bucks a month. Right. Yeah, I almost had uh, a revelation about this the other day. Remember, I was saying that we're paying 15,000 baht for a three-bedroom house. So that's uh, 450 bucks? Uh, yeah, it comes out to about... We pay like 540 with everything. Okay. Utilities, water... Yeah, uh, 500. 500? Okay. Um, but but the point that I'm making is, I mean, uh, 15,000 baht breaks down to about 500 baht a day. And that's the same cost as a service apartment. So the beauty about Thailand and, and really Southeast Asia, uh, it doesn't matter if you're in one place or you're on the go, uh, it's going to be about the same. So we can get on our motorbike and travel from here to Laos, to Cambodia, to Vietnam, and it's all going to be roughly the same amount. Of course, we could go much cheaper if we stayed in one place. Like, like you said, you're paying you know six or seven thousand baht, and they come and make your bed every day. And this is more than enough. This is you you don't need any more because what we found is with a bigger place you end up accumulating more junk. We came here with so little as it is, but we're already starting to accumulate more junk. So by having a smaller place, I think you just avoid that altogether. Brittany, how many pairs of shoes do you have with you? Honestly, not as many as he does. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost embarrassing. I mean, I came with running shoes and, you know... No, his shirt. Flops. We have two... We filled both bedrooms' closets, and mostly with his clothes, and one entire closet is filled with dress shirts. And ask him the last time he's ever worn a dress shirt. It's it's too damn hot in Thailand yeah. to wear, wear a dress shirt. But he still but brought like 50. For some so. reason, I brought them all because I didn't want to get rid of them. I mean, it was just this uh, huge fear of getting ready, getting rid of dress shirts. But yeah, whatever, I, I have to get rid of them. Up. Yeah. But you do have probably five pairs of shoes. Yeah. Right. Probably five. But you know what? How many did you have when you were back home in the U.S.? No, about 15 yeah, at least. It's, it's embarrassing. I mean, the amount of stuff we had and gave away and sold was just sickening. I mean, it's stuff I hadn't seen in eight years that I ended up selling or giving away. It was why I held on to something for that long is, uh, is mind-boggling, but, but you end up doing it. So when you guys decided to move here from Florida, like, what, was, like, what were your fears? Like, what, like, how did you overcome that? How did you decide to make the move? I think the biggest fear was just leaving the comfort of home, really. Or leaving um, my job. Yeah, yeah leaving, security <laughs> leaving, of my job. leaving a steady paycheck. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, but getting rid of your stuff is a very intimidating task. You have all this stuff, especially as after we purchased our ticket, we knew it was real. And then the uh, anxiety starts to set in where you know you have to get rid of stuff because there's nowhere else to put it. Of course, we left some stuff with our parents or you could leave stuff in storage, but the, the idea is we just didn't want it because we didn't need it, and it was stuff that was just taking up space. Uh, so I think the biggest fear was, A, leaving the comfort of home, and the, the second biggest fear is coming to Thailand, you don't speak Thai, uh, how are you gonna get around? But uh, I've picked up a, a decent amount of Thai, and Chiang Mai, you can get away with English, I feel, f- for the most part. I think a big thing too is we were worried we weren't going to be able to make it work and we were scared of failing coming back home and then everybody saying I told, told you, you so. so yeah and when we realized we knew we would make it work we weren't the type of people that were just going to spend all of our money 
end up broke and call our parents to buy us a plane ticket home. We knew we weren't that type of people. We would make something work. And if we didn't, we'd go home and all the people that do make that comment, they're just jealous in the first place. So Yeah, I mean, I honestly think that when I first came out here, people were secretly hoping that I would go back and say that I failed. Mm-hmm. And that way they would make themselves feel better about their, their own situation. situation, their own jobs. Yeah. Uh, and now that it's been five years, and now that I have far more money in, in the bank than I did when I left, and people are finally like, oh, well, maybe this does work. Jo- Johnny, can, can you tell me how, how you did it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, yeah. Was, that was really a shock to us. You know, When we started uh, our travel blog, uh, we thought for sure our friends would participate and help us get a start. Like, almost none of them did. And I think, like you said, it's, it's one of those things that subconsciously they want you to fail to, to, to just be able to say I told you so and welcome to the real world you got to go to a cubicle too but if you're motivated and if you're determined to not go back to that lifestyle there's so many ways possible and if you don't believe me just go spend a day at pun space I mean that would just open your mind to uh, an infinite amount of ideas of, of making something work how, how much savings did you guys have before you came, when you came out me I was in debt, <laughs> student loan debt. All right. I am as frugal as possible. So, uh, I mean, after we sold everything, I mean, I sold my truck and just all my junk. I mean, I would say uh, on the safe side, between twenty and $25,000. Oh, wow. Had. That's actually a lot. Yeah. I mean, my truck was a big, big chunk of that. Um, so, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't realize that, but by selling your car and your crap, most people have enough to live out here for more than a year. Yeah, oh, exactly. easy. I mean, $20,000 would, if if we needed to, we could make that stretch two years and live very good life, not ever cooking a meal, um, still being able to travel, and, and like I said, living, I think, a better quality of life. Yeah, I, I definitely agree as well. I mean, my car wasn't worth as much. I think I sold my car for, I didn't plan it very well. I, you know. I think I had decided three weeks before I came. Wow. <laughs> so I just sold my car to anybody. And right. I only got maybe $6,000 for it when maybe I could have got a little bit more. But right. either way, it was... Had I mean, to go. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and do I regret it? No. Not, not, like, not for a second because when I think about it, if I had kept that car in storage and now be five years older with even more problems and I, I wouldn't even want that car anymore. Right. But not only that, it's it's an anchor. Yeah. Now you still have something left somewhere that you're responsible for. It's so liberating to be able to know that we can throw two backpacks on and be gone. Go anywhere in the world and be able to get an inter- internet connection and make something happen. We don't have all this stuff, a house, a mortgage payment alone on a car or any of that i mean we're we are able to to pick up and move and that's where i think opportunity happens i mean when you're able to jump on something like this a podcast hey you want to go do a podcast sure so i don't know who's going to listen to this someone might listen to this that contacts me five years from now that that is made it all worth it so just being fluid is uh is a huge thing for me so speaking of that so your website is the tradingtraveler.com that's right so tell me about that so actually when we moved to Thailand, we started two blogs. Uh, the Trading Traveler gets its name because I'm a currency trader. Uh, that's my background. And Brittany started uh, Brittany Abroad. 
And what we found out was blogging is a lot more work than we ever could have imagined. So we combined the two into one and the idea was to kind of uh, just tell our travel stories and I throw in bits and pieces of, of trading advice. I didn't really want to go down the uh, travel information or sorry, trading information road um, just because I didn't think anyone would get it until I put out one post on the Iraqi dinar and that's been one of our top red posts. So, so speaking of which, I'm, I'm planning on buying $100 worth of Iraqi dinar. <laughs> That's really funny. I mean, so we're we're sitting in pun space and it's dead silent, and you know we had we I'd met Johnny and we I told him you know our website and everything. And he looks up at me in dead silence and said, "I'm gonna buy a hundred dollars worth of Iraqi dinar." And I looked at Brittany and paused for a second and it just started cracking up because I realized <laughs> that he had been on the website and, and read that post. But yeah, that's one of the top questions. As soon as you tell someone that you trade currencies, everyone wants to know, should I, should I go buy the Iraqi dinar? You know, everyone says it's, it's going to make me a millionaire. Well, they've been saying that for, for five or six years now. So I think you, uh, you have a better, better chance of uh, putting that money towards a plane ticket uh, somewhere else to, uh, to make something happen. So what exactly is Forex trading? Yeah, so Forex trading is uh, foreign currency. For, Forex is short for foreign exchange. So basically it's a market to trade all the currencies of the world. Euro, yen, Australian dollar, New Zealand dollar, pound, Canadian dollar, US dollar. Uh, so same principle as the stock market or the commodities market, but it's a market for just the currency. So we're basically trading the different rates between countries' currencies. So do you trade daily or is that something you hold on to? Uh, so I've been doing this for a long time and it's evolved over the years where I've done the day trading thing but I've developed it now to where I have I have my system set up that if if I need to be to my computer it sends me a text message so uh, I guess I guess the simple answer is it's more long-term trading and I have everything on a server so that if there is an issue it sends me a text message and says hey get home because you know the market is moving essentially so uh, more more longer term trading. Okay, that's cool. Uh, so I don't know too much about I, I know nothing about forex and I don't know too much about stocks. So, but I wanted to invest in my money somewhere. So uh, pretty recently, I bought a bunch of Facebook stock. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I bought it is I emailed the richest guy I know, this guy named JP, who's a CEO of a big company in the U.S. And I said, Hey, what do you invest in? Because <laughs> I figure you know he he researched the crap out of it. And he also knows a lot of rich people. So I basically just follow whatever he does. Mm -hmm. And this guy's made, I think he's bought Amazon stock when it was $60 a share. Jeez. So he, and he's bought Facebook stock when it was super cheap as well. So he's made like literally millions from that. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just asked him like, hey, what should I buy? And he's like, well, I just bought some Facebook stock. So I was right. like, all right, I'm gonna buy some too. Uh -huh. And I was, uh, I was, I was, I was panicked for a while because I had bought 145 shares at $67 a share. And I was thinking, okay, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm happy this is what happens. And a few days ago, it drops down to 57. So it dropped by 10 points. Uh -huh. And I'm like, crap. And my original plan was to just sell it if I ever dropped that low because that way I won't lose all my money. At least I'll only lose a few thousand. Uh, but luckily, you know, I have some, some good friends on Facebook and also and just in the comments on my blog. So thanks for everyone who's, who's commenting on the blogs, you know, and basically said, no, don't do that. Because what happens is, you know, things sometimes go down, people panic. And by the time you sell it, it might be even less. 
and you basically might even lose more, they said, just, just hold on to it for the long run and only sell it when it's high. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, I was like, you know what? Let me just email JP again and say, and say, hey, I noticed that Facebook went down uh, to $56 a piece. Um, you know, what did you, what did you do? And he's like, buy more. He's like, I bought more. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. And, and, you know, you asked me about trading and I think that's why I didn't want to go down this road because inevitably you get that question. What should I buy? What stock should I buy? Well, first I say, I'm not a stock trader. I, 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 I've never traded a stock in my life. You want to talk about currencies, I'll talk about currencies, but uh, that is inev- inevitably the question of, okay, well, what currency should I buy? And if you tell somebody what you just described, 99% of the time it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And people are going to panic and they're going to get out. And then the first thing they're going to do is send you an email or a Skype or a call and say, hey man, I just lost X amount of dollars because you told me to buy the Australian dollar. Well, then you feel like, you, you know, yeah. you, f- you feel down in the dumps. And I think that's why people, you know, they, they are reluctant to give you advice. Right. But that's why I always frame it away. I said, what have you bought right. recently? Right. And, you know, and then, you know, even then, JP still kind of you know says, "Hey, just you know, just remind you, like this is this." And he doesn't know what's happening. He's not right. a, it's not a psychic. Uh, so I think that the two pieces of advice that I've learned from that is one is only invest money in stocks that you would gamble anyways. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I think I had so I had a post a few a few months ago that had thirty k in my bank just sitting there, and so I decided I was like, you know what, let me take half of it and just do something with it because even with 15,000 even if I stop working or everything else stop working at least that's enough to live for a year right so you know and in a year I can easily you know, bring my bank roll back up again right so I figured 15k I was seriously like <laughs> uh, thinking I should just put this on red <laughs> and just go down to Vegas <laughs> and I was like because you know I almost feel like the money that we make online is it it's like it's like magical money that isn't real. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, 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 I get what you're saying. And, and a lot of people, and I think that's from the same people that tell you you're crazy. You're going to go, you're, first of all, you're going to move out of the country and then you're going to work online. It's just this like uh, make-believe life. And it feels like it until the first dollar hits your account. And then you're like, wow, this is real. And if I can do this, then I can do something else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it gets, it gets the ball rolling. But... Uh, yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. And it's funny you say that, that you know, you're now in Thailand and you have the ability to invest $15,000. There's so many people that I know personally back home that couldn't even dream of doing something like that because they have to make the mortgage payment and they have to make the car payment and they have to pay the student loan and everything else. So the, the ability that you have the freedom is just uh, is mind-boggling to most. But what's crazy is those people that can't afford to invest 15k make 100k a year or, you know and it's like how can you make that much money and not have any cash in your in your bank account and it's because they have the crazy car payment and the crazy mortgage so funny you say that because my best friend here in Thailand is a school teacher and i think he makes maybe 14 1500 us a month but he saves more than all of our friends Back home in the states, who are making sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a month, working. Or sorry, (laughs) sorry, yeah, 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 a year. Uh, But because he doesn't have the part, the the crazy apartment and the crazy car and everything else, 
So it's it's just crazy that you can that that he's able to save all this money on such a low salary, but because his expenses are so low, he's he's able to do it. Like I used to think that saving three hundred dollars a month was a lot of money, mm-hmm. and that, that was my goal when I lived in the U.S. and I was making fifty thousand a year. I was like, I'm gonna save three hundred bucks a month, and that was a stretch. It's kind of hard to even put that right. aside. Uh, and now it's like, I think. I don't, I don't even really know what my plan is. I, I didn't look at my finances until a few days ago uh, or a week ago when I actually wrote down the blog post, like what I'm spending. Mm-hmm. And my whole plan was, I just want to make a lot more money than I'm spending. And, you know, I figure my budget, like, I, it's hard to spend more than $100 a day. Yeah, you have to try. I mean, you really have to try. Like, you have literally have to treat all your friends out to, yeah. to, to a meal. Like, you have to be like... Meal I'm, and beers. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's $100 is a crazy amount of money to spend in a day here. Yeah, and that's only $3,000 a month. Uh-huh. So if you're making thirty six k a year, which is like an entry-level, you know, like a very low salary. Sure, straight out of college job in, in the States. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's it. So to, in my mind... You know, that's what I, that's the minimum I shoot for. Every day I wake up and I log into my email and I look how many new orders I got from my stores. I look at you know, I look at a couple of things and I'm like, did I make a hundred dollars today? And if I did, I'm happy. And you know, sometimes I'm just tempted to just close the lid. <laughs> <laughs> Call it a day. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I figure anything after that is extra money, it's bonus money. Right. So if I can make three hundred bucks a day or on like a really good day if I can make I mean I've had and they don't happen very often, but that's the, the big goal. Is right. If you can make $1,000 a day, you freaking kill it out here. Oh, I mean, really, you could kill it in a, a, a lot of places of the world on, on that kind of money. And I, I think that's everyone's goal. And the important thing is, because it's so cheap, you have the ability, like you said, 15K to invest in the stock market. But you could take that same 15K and invest in yourself in a course to develop something new, you know, something completely different from, you know, you're into dropshipping. Well, maybe you invest and you start doing something like, recently I started developing uh, mobile apps. I know nothing about apps, but I have the ability to find programmers to program these apps for me. So uh, you you have the flexibility to try multiple different uh, avenues to generate revenue. Uh, and like, like you said, it's because it's so cheap that, that you can take that risk. Because back home, you can't risk that extra $300, like you said. Otherwise, you, you have no car payment or no rent or you don't eat. I mean, yeah. it's whatever. I literally have zero debt. I, I paid off my student loans. I don't have a car. I don't have a mortgage. The apartment that we're sitting in right now while, while recording this is $220 US a month. Yeah. And uh, I, again, I kicked myself because I went for the $500, I guess, four, 460 whatever, $500 house in... Yeah, it's nice and it's brand, you know, it's completely renovated, but it's more than I need, even if I can afford it. I just, you, you develop this different mindset uh, when you get out of the keeping up with the Joneses that uh, I, you interviewed someone the other day, I think, or I was listening to a podcast the other day that said, you know, there's so many people in Chiang Mai or just entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia that have way more money than you would imagine and they're driving around on an old motorbike in flip-flops and a t-shirt but that is what they're comfortable in and there's no need to impress anyone here so 
the the whole mentality of, of losing the materialism is is very much alive and well here. There's an article by some Chinese billionaire, and one of his tips was, when when you don't have money, dress like you do. Mm-hmm. But once you're rich, stop dressing that way. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. I, I have the utmost respect for like you said, the guy sitting next to me at Pulse Space today. You said makes great money being being a programmer and. I had no idea because he's dressed just like I am, you know, in shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah, and I don't know exactly how much money he has, but I know he currently has like seven people living in his house because not only is he married with a couple kids, but like the family of like his wife's parents moved Uh in as well. And he's the only bread earner. Uh, And he has a couple different properties. He owns a couple condos out here. Wow. And he has... You know, he has genuine beat headphones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nobody buys in Thailand because you can buy the knockoffs on any street corner. For <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like you said, I mean, just not not flashy at all, and yeah. that that seems to be the uh, the trend around here. And people are so generous key. too. Yeah. Like, for example, I mean, just as we were walking out, I said, "Oh, oh we're gonna do a podcast," and he's like, "Oh, hey, I just bought a new uh, blue Yeti if you if you ever want to use it." Right. Yeah. And I'll and you know it's you know it's like a two hundred dollar podcast mic. And I was like, oh, no, it's okay. You know, I have one. He's like, all right, well, I'm just going to leave it here at Pun Space for anyone to use. Wow. I didn't hear him say that, but that's that's amazing. Yeah. And you yourself, you offered, I mean, your motorbike to someone else you knew that, that if he needed to rent it or, or whatever. I mean, it's yeah. just I everyone's mean, willing to share here, I guess. Is, yeah. Is the like, bottom line. I basically was just going to give it to him. I was like, I was like, hey, I'm not going to be here for the next three weeks. If you just want to use it, right. just, just have it. Right. And he's like, no, no, I'm just going to rent one because I don't, I don't want to actually crash it. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's a, a sense of responsibility. So I, I, I can respect it. But like you said, everybody is more than willing to help you here. So, uh, and like you said, I think that, that stems from the uh, having the guts to actually leave home, wherever home may be, and try to make something happen elsewhere. Yeah. Speaking of which, I'm going to be home in the U.S. two days from now, and I'm going back three weeks to go to uh, two back-to-back weddings. Nice. So it's it's kind of nice, um, you know, see my family, see some of my friends. But I can honestly say that I I don't really miss anything from home besides the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because in Chiang Mai, there's I have everything I can ever dream of. Yeah, we we were talking about this earlier, and uh, you're leaving in two days, and we're leaving in two months, and already we we thought i guess after a month we were a little homesick after the first month you're a little homesick but once you get past that uh you literally have everything here other than than the people from back home obviously uh but you're two days away i i can't imagine what you're going through but we're, I, I didn't even pack yet we, yeah, <laughs> well, we're two we're two months away and i'm already starting to panic thinking oh we're leaving this great place uh, but at the end of the day it's still here you can always come back so i'm going back I'm yeah exactly everything. now the only reason why i even got this apartment now even though i'm gonna be gone for almost a month is just so i can leave my crap here <laughs> yeah because it's so cheap that you can literally just use that storage yeah exactly and i figure because i'm not flying back until i think i arrive at like 11 p.m when i return and mm-hmm. i don't want to you know look for a, a hotel or check in anywhere I just want to be able to come in, unpack my stuff, and then just be home. Yeah. And to me, that is far worth 200 bucks. I Absolutely. couldn't agree more. And just, just to not have to deal with looking, going around, looking at places is, 
is more than worth it, especially if you already found a place that you like, especially in this area. Uh, I think you got a, a, a really good deal for this area to, to be paying $200. And this is like the uh, Manhattan of Chiang Mai. It really basically. is. Yeah. And, like, and the coolest neighborhood in Manhattan. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many places. I mean, people keep asking, like, how do I find you know, this apartment? I said, go to anywhere you want and then just walk around. Mm -hmm. Like any neighborhood that you like. I mean, literally, if there's a coffee shop you like, start there. If there's a, you know, if there's a restaurant you like, start there. If there's a gym that you want to start going to. And that's what I did for the CrossFit gym. I went to the gym and I walked around to find the closest apartment that was near the gym. <laughs> just yeah. trying to find pen space. We were driving around all these toys back here and discovered all of these apartment complexes and we're yeah. like how do we and restaurants and yeah. coffee shops we're like we've been missing out on these the entire time They're yeah just and none of them have websites so no yeah, it, it, i was just going to say that i mean you make a great point you can do all the research online that you want but it's so much better to come here and walk around for yourself and actually we did we did a post on on our website about this because a lot of times what you find out is uh, I recommend going to the place that you think you found and go there again at night because Thai people love loud music. <laughs> and it just so might happen that you are right next door to a karaoke bar that's open till two in the morning playing you know, the latest Adele song or whatever it might be. <laughs> so every night, and that's what happened to us at this house. So. Uh, the best thing to do, like you said, walk around, get familiar with the area, find something you like, and, and check it out and, and settle on it because at the end of the day, it's $200. Yeah. So, all right, so one question I had about not really Forex training, but just currency itself. Mm -hmm. So tell me this is a brilliant idea or this is stupid. <laughs> the Thai bot changes quite a bit, right? Yep. And right now, it's probably like 32 bot to the dollar, which is really good. And... I remember last year it was like 29 baht to a dollar, right? which is a 10% difference. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that may not seem like a lot to, to people listening, but imagine if you're a monthly budget is $1,000, which is pretty, pretty normal for here. Um, by having the higher exchange rate, it's 10% difference. So it's, instead of paying $1,000, you're only paying 900 bucks a month. Right. So that adds up. So my idea is, is there a way where I can just get a, like, let's say a Thai bike account or something, and every time I see the Thai bot worth a lot, anytime it's over $32, can I just buy a ton of Thai bot and have it in the account? There's an even better way to do that, and that's to go open a Bangkok bank. Uh, this, this is speaking if you're coming from the US. Uh, go get a Bangkok bank account because Bangkok Bank has a branch in New York City. Oh. And what you can do is transfer from any bank that you have in the States, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, whatever you use, and just do a standard bank-to-bank -bank transfer. Not only are you gonna get a far better rate than what you're gonna get on the street, uh, you know, at an exchange, um, but the transaction costs are a lot less and um, it's instantaneous, so you can do basically what you're saying. As soon as you see the Thai bot higher, you just go to your bank account, log in, transfer money, and bam, it's there. Usually takes me, I think, three days, three days to process. So. Uh, a good idea, but on the flip side of that, you gotta also remember that the Thai bot was at like 41, how many years ago? I think that was like four or five years ago. Don't mm -hmm. quote me on that, but yeah, it was it a was, few yeah. years ago. So uh, nonetheless, a, a good idea, especially Thailand has some uh, stability issues right now with the government, so uh, the bot is fluctuating 
a lot. So as soon as I think, like you said, 32 to 33, go ahead and, and make a decent amount of transfer. Uh, because the other problem is if you use an ATM, for example, the exchange rate at an ATM is atrocious. You're going to get a terrible exchange rate. On top of that, you're probably going to get charged a foreign transaction fee from your bank, depending on what bank you have. And the max withdrawal, I think, is like $400. Whereas you can do a bank-to-bank transfer with a Bangkok bank for many, many thousands of dollars. Well, you're not going to spend many thousands of dollars in Thailand. So transferring any more is, is, almost, is almost pointless. That's cool. And let's say you, you know, I decided to go back to the U.S. Would I be able to transfer that money back to the U.S. dollars? Uh, with Bangkok Bank? That's a really interesting question, and I don't know the answer to that. I do know that I called the branch in New York when I was in America, and they essentially told me to call the branch in Bangkok. So okay. I don't really know what to make of, of, of that. Well, I mean, I guess worse comes to worse. I can always withdraw all the money and then just change it at the airport. We get a really crappy rate, but it's still possible to get the money out. Or Bangkok Bank offers a U.S. dollar account, so you can just transfer it right there to oh, right. U.S. dollars. So, okay. yeah, they offer a foreign uh, foreign currency account, so it solves all your problems. Okay. That's easy. So that's something that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up, a nice little travel hack. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, besides the foreign exchange, what else do you guys? You guys also do some apps and yep. monetize that. Yeah. Uh, so that I started about a, a year ago uh, with my first app, uh, but really started getting into it the last three months. Uh, and I actually have a, a website that's that's kind of an, an open case study if anyone's interested in that. Uh, MicroNicheApps.com, kind of following the whole niche world that that everyone's uh, involved in, but. Uh, we also started building some niche sites. It seems like every travel blogger out there is going down that road, uh, kind of a spinoff from what you're doing with the drop shipping. Um, it's a lot steeper learning curve than I initially thought, uh, but it does work. Uh, we've proven it to work. The apps are working. So like I said, there's so many different angles, um, but it is a learning curve. So you have to commit yourself to, to learning everything that you need uh, to, to, to be able to make it work. So the apps, the niche sites, the trading, uh, we're trying to get the travel blog going, uh, although we don't really look to monetize that anytime soon. That's more for our own entertainment and to make connections like yourself. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that kind of sums up our, uh, our funding of travel. So the, the niche sites, are they're Amazon affiliate sites? Yeah, mostly Amazon affiliate sites. I'm starting to look into just uh, different, different affiliates through Commission Junction, but I've yet to go down that road. So for right now, uh, Amazon affiliate sites and the apps are mostly in-app purchases is how we monetize that because I found that if you're going to rely on ad revenue from mobile apps you better have a lot of downloads and you better have a, tra- a lot of traffic to those sites same thing with an AdSense uh, uh, an AdSense website you just you need you need the volume there to justify it and I think the user experience is far better for a premium app a freemium app than a, yeah. uh, an ad supported app because those are just annoying to me yeah I, I couldn't agree more and you almost nowadays you have to give away your app for free because there's so many people competing that if you're going to charge for an app that someone else can develop for free then it's a no brainer they're going to obviously download the free app so you have yeah. to be able to offer some value unless you are Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> and you charge 99 cents for the heads up app which is the best app ever made and I know nothing about that. What yeah, it, what, I was going to say, what is g- that? Give me the background. Yeah, so it's, this, it's a game. It's kind of like um, like charades meets taboo meets one of the, you know, like the, the one he's guessing. <laughs> where you basically hold up your phone to your forehead and uh, you make them guess. Um, you know, you, your partner is going to yeah. shout out. Right. Okay. And it is such, 
a well-made app. It's super fun. So I, I encourage everyone to go to the app store, download Heads Up by Ellen DeGeneres. But see, that's the that's the the, the beauty, beauty behind apps is you can create these apps for as little as $50. You know, that's one of the cheapest ones I've had programmed. And it can be the simplest of apps that just takes off. And I think it's the 80-20 rule when it comes comes to these apps. You don't know which app is going to take off. So you have to develop them. And, you know, a $50 app might succeed and a $500 app might be a flop. But you never know until you put it out there. And some of the silliest ideas are the ones that just go crazy. Look at Flappy Birds. Yeah, I mean, well, jeez. <laughs> What's actually funny about Flappy Birds is I was in Saigon about a month ago. Right. And I met all these entrepreneurs. They, they knew that, uh, you know, I had some kind of successful online business, but a lot of people didn't really know what it was. And when they asked me, I would kind of, just to mess with a few people, I would say, oh, yeah, you know, I just have this uh, this silly game on the, you know, on the app store. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, how's it doing? And I was like, oh, you know, it's doing really well. I was making like 50K a day from it, but I had to take it down. <laughs> <laughs> And 100% of the people, you know, were like, oh my God, you're the Flappy Birds guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, and, and those stories are all over the place in terms of, of apps. I mean, some of these, what you would think wouldn't work, just blow up. And they're the next Flappy Birds or the next Instagram or whatever it might be. I mean, it's just, the, the, like I said, the uh, options are limitless when it, when it comes to that stuff. So if you had to choose just one, would you do, like, let's say you're going to start over and you're like, okay, I want to focus on one thing to make money. Uh, would you do the affiliate sites or would you go into making apps? Oh, man. That's, that's a really tough one because here's the thing. Like, doing the affiliate sites has taught me how SEO works. Okay. And so I've taken those principles and applied them to the app store. So it's almost like they were both necessary. But... Honestly, I think I'd go down the niche site road over the apps just because you understand how the web works. You understand why people are searching for what they're searching for and how they're getting there. And then you can take that principle and apply it somewhere else. And that's essentially what I've done with these apps. I mean, like I said, micro niche apps is, it spells it exactly out. You're taking that same niche principle and applying it to the app store so I think it's almost necessary to, to go down the niche road first before going down the app road. so Brittany you looked a bit surprised when you said that yeah I, well I do understand that point of view she looks at me that way because the apps are generating more money yeah, than niche exactly. sites right right and, now and they're a lot less work for you yeah that's true that for is us, that is true I, I mean because you guys outsource all the programming for the apps outsource exactly. everything for the apps uh, and we're building everything ourselves for the niche sites uh, and that's mostly because I have a lack of content writers. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of content writers out there, but every time I get something back, it's just, it looks canned or it looks like a non-native English speaker wrote it. So shout out to anyone that's got any good content writers, please shoot me, shoot me an email. But, but nonetheless, I, I, think, I think you're right. Actually, the apps are a lot less work. Uh, and of course, they're making more and I money. I think they're a little more stable too than the... Yeah, the, 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 niche, the niche site. We found out after we Arena <laughs> is definitely cutthroat and you're at the mercy of Google updates. So uh, yeah. so you were asking me earlier about affiliate sites versus dropshipping sites. Yeah. And, and I have both. I, and I do some Amazon affiliate sites mainly just for, for passive income. And to be honest, you know, I don't even do it for the money. I do it so I can buy stuff from Amazon for free. <laughs> uh, 
but the reason why I like drop shipping is Google likes e-commerce stores. Mm-hmm. You know, they like the fact that you're, you know, when they send traffic to you, you're like an actual store that's right. sell, actually selling a product versus sending it to a blog or a site that just has a link to another mm-hmm. site. Right. So I really believe that in the, in the next, you know, couple of years, um, as Google is openly saying, I'm gonna, we're killing SEO because it doesn't benefit them in any way. Um, and they don't. Google doesn't feel like it benefits the, con- the consumer at the that clicks the link either. Um, and for those who are a bit unfamiliar with what a niche site is, uh, can you explain that really quickly? Yeah. So a niche site is basically uh, you're you're determining what people are searching for for a particular product uh, that that they're going to buy, and then you will develop a site around that uh, product with the hopes that you're going to get ranked on the first page if not first place in Google for that particular search term and the idea is that they come to your site click your affiliate link through Amazon and and every time they they do that and buy a product uh, you get a commission but like you said the the problem that we're finding with it and uh, I guess I guess I'll back up the reason we started with this is uh, you don't have to invest as much time into a niche site as you do an e-commerce store. So we wanted to see this work and see that our SEO tactics work before we go down a dropshipping route. Uh, But at the same time, you do invest a lot of time in these niche sites that you get on the first page of Google like we did and then you wake up the next morning and it's nowhere to be found. So all that time is completely wasted, but it's a necessary evil. I mean, you have to do it to first teach yourself how this system works so what we might now do after speaking with you and a few other people is transition these niche sites over to e-commerce stores because that's definitely a possibility as well yeah and because you already have the content for it you've already proven what people want to buy right and you get better margins right so the margins for amazon affiliate sites are usually like what four to seven start at four percent and go up to i think max out about eight percent unless you're like a stellar niche site seller but Okay. You know, on the whole, I would say between four and six percent. So okay. the margins are very narrow, of course. And for drop shipping, it's usually between ten to thirty percent, but usually it's more like between ten and twenty five percent after all the advertising costs, after all the everything. Right. Um, so the next level after that would be importing or making, you know, or even just manufacturing your own goods. But what I like about the niche sites, the affiliate sites, and the drop shipping is there's no upfront inventory costs. Right. And I, I really do believe that it's silly just to, just to spend 15K, you know, importing stuff from China when you have no idea if it sells or not. Yeah, 100% yeah. start with either an affiliate site or dropshipping site. Right. Well, and see, that was the mistake we made. We thought we would be able to crank these sites out in no time. It would take us a month to learn the process. No, that's not, that's not the case. I mean, it's definitely a learning curve. And I've stumbled along the way trying to pick this stuff up, uh, and it's it, we're just now to the point where we actually understand what you're what you're talking about, and to the point where we can talk intelligibly about SEO and about content writing and about you know all this other stuff that that revolves around this world. So absolutely, start with something that's not going to be a huge investment. I mean, what do we have wrapped up in a niche site? Maybe twenty twenty five dollars with a domain and hosting. Yeah, that's so nothing. That's it's great. nothing. You might as well give it a shot, and if you fail, great. You know, you spent twenty dollars on a meal. It's a, it's the same cost, which could be a prosperous business. You don't know. So you said it took you a couple months to, to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are some resources that you, le- you use to learn how to build these 
Amazon niche sites? Well, fortunately for me, uh, I had a buddy back back in LA that uh, is an SEO wizard. So I kind of went through the hard knock school of, of him teaching me. But uh, really, the, the best thing that, that I found are these sites and case studies like your site. It's, it's a podcast. It might not necessarily be about niche sites, but I pick up bits and pieces from here and there. And when I go to the gym, I have podcasts on. I'm not listening to music. I'm listening to podcasts anywhere, anytime. I'm listening to podcasts. And sites like Spencer Spencer Hawes Niche Pursuits is a great place to start for niche site ideas. Um, there's there's countless other ones out there. Just if if you type it in, you're gonna find it. Uh, something that might be good for me is is not good for someone else. But like I said, just diving in head first, trying to find this information is gonna lead you down down the right path. I think the only problem with kind of just Googling, you know, like niche site yeah, you teacher, get some you get stuff, some crazy yeah. internet marketers. I, I know I only recommend stuff I either personally use myself or, I agree, yeah. or things that at least I know the guy and I know that he makes money from it at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only niche site guy I know that really makes a lot of money is a guy named Tung Tran and he has cloudliving.com. Yeah. I haven't actually used his course, his product, so I, I, I don't I don't know nothing about it. But I know he personally makes a lot of money from, from his internet site, so, so I know that at least that part of it works. Yeah, I've read a lot of uh, Cloud Living. Another one that's that's like that is, is Viper Chill. Uh, same principle, super open and it's transparent. It's not this, uh, look at me, I'm so rich, but buy my product type of type of things. And, and, th- and that's what you want to avoid, basically. Just, just look for the transparent guys and they're gonna steer you in the right direction. Yeah, like for me, like if I if I had just wanted to learn dropshipping, I googled how to dropship. I probably would have got some crazy, you know, <laughs> spammy thing. Right. But I, for me, I got lucky. It was the same same story where I met a guy named Anton, and I knew he was making money online. And he had a course. So I was like, well, I trust this guy, and and obviously he makes money from it. So I went to AntonMethod.com follow the course wholeheartedly and it worked right and but i don't know if that would have happened if i just randomly googled some you know how to make money online like don't do not google how to make money online <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it's gonna be people like you and i building niche sites to drive you to somewhere no i'm just i'm just kidding but, but that does it does exist and i mean that's just kind of uh, the nature of the beast so like you said I, I think the best thing is reach out to someone that you know is already successful in this uh, and that you can trust and develop a relationship with and uh, and run with it. I mean, well, having a mentor yeah. is a good is, is the best thing you can I do. I really I really believe so. And I think that's one of those uh, 80-20 things that people don't talk about is people give away eighty percent of the info for free, mm-hmm. but the last twenty percent that really helps make some money are things like have a mentor. Right. And people never talk about that. Right. You know, or have a have a environment where you don't have any stress that you're surrounded by other entrepreneurs. You know and you know that may well be that twenty percent that gives you that success. And and to go further on that point, like I said, I listen to podcasts nonstop, and uh, a majority of these people that are now successful got successful for that exact reason. Like you said, they found someone, found something that they were interested in, and instead of just sending an email, like you said, and and maybe the person answers buy their product, invest in their product, show them that they're serious, and then reach out to them for a mentorship. Or if they offer the mentorship for sale, buy it, because that shows that you're serious and you're committed to them to them teaching you. And nine times out of 10, they're gonna be open to, to helping you because they wanna see you succeed because that's just better advertising for their site as well. Yeah, definitely. So 
thanks very much for being on the show, both of you. Uh, Brittany, are you looking forward to the rest of your time here in, in Chiang Mai? Absolutely. Uh, if they want to get in touch with you guys, your site is thetradingtraveler.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, all the uh, all the latest and greatest uh, social medias. But uh, yep, thetradingtraveler.com. You can shoot us an email. We're totally open to uh, to entertaining anyone's emails or contact requests. All right, very cool. So if you guys want links to everything that we talked about, uh, including Charlie and Brittany's uh, site and uh, social media pages, go ahead and just go to the show notes on uh, the Travel Like a Boss podcast.com, episode 30. And I'll see you guys uh, next week. Cool. Thanks for having us on. No worries. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.